Dark Topic is no longer a part of 1159 Media or the 1159 Media Patreon. So if you would like to support Dark Topic and get exclusive content, uh, additional content from Dark Topic, head to patreon.com slash darktopic and uh, check out what I have to offer there. Thank you. Can we talk something else? Can, can we talk about something else? <laughs> Hello out there. I like to think that if some maniac kicked in our front door in the middle of the night or broke a window then started crawling in with his hit kit, that I'd figure it out. But the truth is I'd probably be beaten to death, my girl would be raped and murdered, then then our children might perish while tied to their beds, screaming for our corpses to save them as fire followed smoke to bring them to us in some confused afterlife. Hopefully they'd be spared the rape their mother endured, the beating I took. But you know how it goes in such situations. The kids sometimes get it the worst, especially if they're the primary target, as in the Otero family murders perpetrated by BTK that I've mentioned so many times before. As a father, I spend a lot of time worrying about my role as the first line of defense in my home. I know that if there's a noise in the night, I'm the one, without question, that's expected to check it out. There's no hiding under the covers, there's no whispering, what was that? It's up to me. I'm up, in my underwear with a box cutter, stomping around, scattering shadows, holding my cell phone light in front of me like a crucifix. So after all the years I'll spend worrying, the years spent doing rounds in the night chasing phantoms away with improvised weaponry, frying pans, bread knives, jars of hot peppers. After my tour of duty is complete and my kids head off to protect their own households, having learned from the best, how poetically unjust would it be if one of them were to return to kill me and their mother? Welcome to Dark Topic. I'm your host, Jack Luna. This is a true crime happening. The Lump. All right, Thanksgiving, Thursday, November 24th, 2016. The Guy family home in Knoxville, Tennessee is full of girls. That's the way it's always been. Father Joel Guy Sr. and his wife Lisa Guy, married for 31 years, are excited to have a house full of laughter for the holidays. All three daughters are from Joel's previous marriage, but they've grown up loving Lisa and being loved by her from a young age, so they're all very close. There are grandkids running around. Life is at that point. The girls are women now, late 30s, early 40s, and one of their little boys just celebrated a birthday. It was at that recent party that a bit of exciting news had been shared. Grandpap Joel had just turned 61 and has been feeling it. He's worked hard, doing well for his family as a pipeline engineer. And Grandma Lisa, who is in her mid-50s, has agreed to leave her job as an accounting admin to join Joel in retirement. The girls are so pleased for them. 
the plan is to move into Joel's mother's residence that's been left to him and sell their beautiful Knox County home in a place known as Hardin Valley. After crunching the numbers, they figure it's a step they can afford to take. That is, if they cut off their support for Joel Jr. Joel Michael Guy Jr. is in his late 20s and the baby of the clan. Well, he used to be until actual babies grandchildren started popping up, but still. Joel Michael, as he's affectionately known, is fat and soft and whiny, so somehow still manages to be the biggest baby this family has. He isn't supposed to be here. The guys had thought Joel Michael would miss Thanksgiving, seeing how he said he would, seeing how he lives 10 hours away in a Baton Rouge apartment, close to LSU where he's currently enrolled and rarely makes an effort to come down. Joel Michael has been attending school for the last decade or so, and it's not because he can't get enough of that frat boy lifestyle, no. It's that he can't get enough of that mama boy's lifestyle. With a bachelor's degree in biology, he had designs on one day becoming a plastic surgeon. But most recently, Joel Michael has been lining himself up for a career in virology after completing coursework for his PhD, for his big boy job, these are Joel's exact words, as a scientist in virus research. Now, Joel Michael may seem like a real go-getter on paper, but he's not. He's a lazy mama's boy, like I mentioned, who doesn't have a job and has been dicking around as a student for the entirety of his 20s, constantly with a new direction for a future that will never materialize, and all on his mother's dime. But anyways, back to Thanksgiving at the guy home in Knoxville. He's not supposed to be here. Joel Michael hadn't planned to come home until Christmas, but here he was taking up space, sucking all the fun out of the holiday, like cash from his mother's bank account. His half-sisters take turns stepping into the living room to fiddle around in the kitchen, just to break the tension a little. They know that Joel knows about the plan to cut off his support. It's clear by the way he's behaving. Weirder than usual. Cheerful. Every other get-together over the years, Joel Michael had been a moody mute. But today, he is trying his sisters would later say that they were unsure if Joel even knew the names of his nephews. But on this Thanksgiving, Uncle Joel is behaving as though he's close to the kids, bringing out his old toys and awkwardly sharing them, somehow making the act of play, like, work. It's tough to watch, and the kids attempt to reciprocate Joel's feigned interest in them. But they tire of Uncle Joel Michael instantly, because it's all so phony and kids can sense these things. It doesn't help that Uncle Joel looks like Quasimodo, exactly like that. Hunched, built like a barrel, pasty skin, an insane unblinking gaze, stringy long hair that accentuates the baldness it was grown to hide, often hanging over those two wide eyes that the greasy strands fail to cover as well. Joel Michael is disgusting and he's ruining Thanksgiving, but his family's too polite, too supportive to address it. Instead, they make the best of it. And at some point, it mercifully ends when Joel Michael plods upstairs to the guest room and shuts the door. Likely to read one of his pretentious classic literature novels. More likely to whack off while envisioning something insane. For a lump like Joel Michael Guy Jr., this is his world. Everyone else is just living in it. He's not aware of how his behavior or lack of behavior is stressing at his family. Even when they try to express their distress, all he hears is a song of betrayal. The girls and the kids soon say their goodbyes, not knowing these are true goodbyes to Grandpa Joel and Grandma Lisa. 
Outside, one of the sisters notices a couple of large blue Rubbermaid bins in Joel Michael's Hyundai as she passes it in the driveway and wonders what they're there for. A few innocent reasons come to mind. None include the possibility of them being used as chemical baths for her parents. Mother Lisa Guy likely checks to see if Joel Michael is good before heading to bed. She is by all accounts a wonderful person and perhaps a little doting when it comes to Joel Jr. My use of perhaps is disingenuous there. Lisa has overmothered the living shit out of her only biological child. It is said that her every paycheck went directly to Joel Michael so that he would be able to pay rent, tuition fees, bills, be able to eat, everything. Joel Michael is completely dependent upon his parents. And because he's never known any different, he thinks that this is normal. What is not normal is that Mother Lisa has put her resignation in at work, that his father Joel Sr. is suddenly retired, and on the front lawn is planted a for sale sign. The writing is on the wall, and now the writing is in the notebook. They're already dead in the mind of Joel Michael. Dead to him for the inevitable betrayal, and soon they'll be dead to everyone. A few excerpts from the notebook of Joel Guy Jr. Quote, Kill him with the knife. Clean up the mess from him before she gets home. Kill her with the knife. Place her in shower. Turn on hot water and point at her to get rid of forensics. Cut off his arms and plant flesh under her fingernails. Use sodium hydroxide to destroy his soft tissue and soften bones for transport. Baste once every hour to accelerate. Set her phone to send me a text message late Sunday to prove that I was in Baton Rouge and she was alive. End quote. There's so much more. A breakdown of assets Joel Michael would stand to inherit. Plans to frame Joel Sr. for the murders. A list of items needed to carry out his heinous plan. The statement, quote, Money all mine. I get the whole thing. End quote. But anyways, I'm getting ahead of myself here. Before any of the scribbles in the notebook come to life, before Joel Michael can haul that list of items needed for the murders out of his Hyundai and into the house, he'll spend the day after Thanksgiving with his father, checking out the new house. He appears happy for them, claims that if he can make it back for moving day, he'll even help pack them up. Saturday, November 26, 2016, two days after Thanksgiving. Packing them up is more difficult than he thought. The whole thing had been a bit of a blur, from Thanksgiving to the last day with Dad until this morning with Mom. Bitch, what'd she think would happen? He'd just drop out of school, give up the apartment? Then what? Well, that's up to you, Joel Michael. Up to me. I'll show you up to me. Joel Michael is cutting his mother's head off. His hand hurts. He cut it while killing Dad. So when he's almost through with the neck, he kicks and tears the remaining flesh away. There. Joel Michael takes the head by the hair and brings it downstairs where he places his mother's head in a large pot with some water and sets it to a slow boil. Okay, that feels a little better. Now, where was he? Joel Michael steps past the groceries that lay skewed, melting by the front door. Three 12-packs of Michelob Light and some other shit, fucking drunks. He notices blood on the carpet as he heads back upstairs. Shit. What a mess. He tried to finish her quick, but like Dad, she fought like hell. 
How many stabs had it taken? Less than dad, but certainly more than he nightmared up in his mind leading to this. Inevitability. Upstairs, he puts the dog in a room. It's incredible that he's decided not to kill it, too. It's yapping incessantly. Perhaps a welcome distraction for the gruesome work ahead. Joel Michael enters the exercise room. A Bowflex is tipped over in here. There's blood everywhere. He notices his father's hands. When did he cut those off? A blur. All of it. Joel feels like a character in a dusty old book. Likely wishes he were. Tucked away somewhere in the pages, the secret of what he had planned and now found himself in the aftermath of, and a shelf in some distant library, in the section for true crime. Now if only he could flip ahead from these current pages. God, this is going to be a lot of work. Earlier in this story, Joel Michael had planned to break the garbage disposal as a way to lure his father's back to a position where the knife could be stabbed through the heart. But when his mother had announced she was going for groceries, he decided it was time. Joel had retrieved the K-Bar knife security cameras that a Walmart had caught him buying from his backpack, then entered the makeshift exercise room where Joel Sr. was working out. His mother was pulling out of the driveway as Joel Michael plunged, then pulled the first stab from his father's back. Chaos ensued, but in the end, Joel Michael had prevailed. Joel Sr. lay slumped in a corner, painting the wall crimson with the three dozen or so wounds to his back, some as deep as six inches, others wide as seven. Joel then cuts off his father's hands, leaving them on the floor where they'll stay for days, forgotten in all that was to follow. Mother's home, Joel. Best to take care of that right away, don't you think? He's rumbling back downstairs. What a workout. Who needs a Bowflex? Not Joel Michael. Not today, at least. Yesterday and every day before, that would have helped, but here we are. He killed her, of course, after she set down the last of the groceries. Stabbed her a couple dozen times in the back while she screamed and begged and pleaded for her life. It was an awkward thing. Nothing like he'd imagined. Killing is awkward. They don't want to go. You're angry. Then at some point, more annoyed by how much they fight. It gets messy and... That brings the anger on again, like, Christ, does everything have to be difficult with you two? Can't anything go fucking smooth in this arrangement? Then he attempted to decapitate her, getting almost all the way through with the knife before kicking her head off her neck. Finally, he wasn't angry anymore, just standing in the kitchen with his mother's head in a pot, getting ready mentally to butcher his father and what was left of his mother upstairs. And they call him weak. You try it. Joel Michael knows that almost the entire world would be incapable of what he'd done, what he's doing, what he's about to do. What page are we on here? All a blur. The whole thing for Joel Michael is just one big, messy blur. He's so free as he attempts to clean up, filling up the blue Rubbermaid bins with a chemical recipe borrowed from the internet. He feels like he's finally doing something. Isn't that what they all had wanted from him? To just do something? Anything? And isn't that funny how they were right? Work is good for him. Rosetta Stone, everybody. You know, for a long time, I've been wanting to go to Japan. But the thing holding me back is that I'm intimidated by the language. And that's why I've been going pretty hard at the Rosetta Stone service. I want to be able to take my girl to Japan, a place that she's always wanted to go, and suddenly just start speaking fluent Japanese at the restaurant. That's my goal. <laughs> 
Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on a desktop or as an app, and it truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It's been a trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users, 25 languages offered. It's fast language acquisition. Rosetta Stone immerses you in a bunch of ways. Uh, there's an intuitive process where you pick up the language naturally, first with words and phrases, then sentences. They have the speech recognition feature. Built-in true accent gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Uh, it's like having a personal trainer for your accent. It's convenient, and it's an amazing value, especially with this offer here. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Dark Topic listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. But it's a lot of fucking work. Joel Michael cuts the clothing from his father's corpse, then begins the incredible task of disarticulating the legs at the hips, the arms at the shoulders, and places them in a chemical bath he's prepared in the blue bins. The hands still lay in the exercise room, one seeming to reach for a bloody pack of Joel Sr.'s cigarettes, as his son heaves his torso with head attached to splash into the bin, face down, where it begins the slow process of melting down. Speaking of meltdowns, Joel Michael is beginning to freak out a little about the cuts on his hands. They burn as he inflicts a deep, gaping gash to the floating torso so that it will soak up more of the dissolving. Then he does the same to his mother's corpse after cutting off her clothing and sawing off her arms as well. She is headless, as we know. So Joel Michael only has to cut her legs off at the knees to fit her in the tub. Her chemical bath. Isn't this nice? Like a vacay. A little spa date. Giggles escape him, no doubt. The same giggles he'll later stifle at times in court. Clean, clean, clean. Clean, clean, clean. How ironic is this that Joel would commit this crime in the spirit of never wanting to work again, only to find himself working harder than he ever had in his life? He needs a break. His hands are killing him sliced up from the attack on father. The dog is squared away in a room, yapping its fool head off, but it'll be fine for a day or two. A little food, a little water for a little dog. Can't have it mucking around in the muck of the house. Get in there. Get the fuck in there. I'll be back soon. Joel shuts the door and the barking muffles. Then he heads downstairs after hosing himself off a little in the shower. Literally, a hose is now connected to the shower head. His little butcher shop up there had really come along, but for now, it doesn't need him. The meat is in the marinade. He leaves the pot to simmer, the groceries to melt on the floor. He even leaves his backpack, full of notes detailing plans for this, up in the spare room with his laptop open, charging. This is his house now. No reason why anyone should arrive, and even if they did, the doors will be... Shit... As Joel Michael readies to get in his Hyundai and travel back to Baton Rouge to get his hands fixed, hands he doesn't dare seek attention for here in Knoxville, no, he's too slick for that, he remembers the front door. The realtor has clamped a lockbox to the doorknob, one that had a key within. What if there were a showing booked? The drive back to his apartment will take at least eight hours. The plan is to get his hands doctored up at the university. They're aching. He can maybe risk buying some bandages and ointment. And he will. But anyways, all told, Joel Michael figures he'll be gone two days, three days, max. And it's certainly a possibility that an agent could bring a young couple here in that time to show them around. Oh my God. 
Can you imagine? Joel Michael Guy Jr. is not a mentally ill person. Though in this moment he must look it. The ridiculousness of this entire thing, the insanity of it, must make him chuckle to himself at times. We know he has a sense of humor. You don't just put your mother's head in a pot to boil without one. Exhausted from the butchering, he re-enters the house and fights past the pain in his sliced-up hands to complete the task of removing the front doorknob. He replaces it with the back doorknob, leaving a hole in the door that releases some of the stench now coming from what's cooking in the kitchen out into the backyard. It's sweltering in here. Joel Michael has cranked the thermostat up to 90-odd degrees, and his filthy white t-shirt clings to him. It always clings to him, Joel being the type who thinks smaller clothes make one look smaller with them. Later, when he is at the Walmart grabbing some first aid for his aching mitts, security cameras will pick up the waddling killer. The penguin is who Joel Michael is reminiscent of, if the penguin dressed like a motherless child. My God. Motherless. Fatherless. It's a long ride home for the self-made orphan. We don't know if he laughed or cried on the way, but it's guaranteed that those wild eyes pulled Baton Rouge to him. The highways and farm fields a blur, all of this a blur, until he finally crawled into his bed to sleep like the baby he's always been. By the time he wakes up, alarm bells are already ringing back in Knox County. Police officers are standing outside of the Guy home in Hardin Valley, having responded to a request for a welfare check on Lisa Guy. She didn't show up for work, and that's not like Lisa. Her supervisor made the call, and when she followed up on the first one to learn that an officer had gone by the house and not noticed anything suspicious, she demanded they check again. Now, knowing that Lisa Guy most definitely should be home, seeing as how her vehicle's parked out front alongside her husband's, the officers go to the back door. That's when they spot the missing doorknob. That's when they smell the odd odor. And that's when an officer looks in through the hole in the door and sees the groceries on the floor. They gain entry by using the garage door opener in one of the guy's unlocked vehicles. And it doesn't take long for the magnitude of this crime to be realized. The dog is removed from the sweltering room it's been trapped in. And soon after, the home is carefully being swept through by forensics. Though the evidence isn't hard to come by, and the perpetrator is obvious. Joel Michael's backpack has his murder plan in it, and what's written in those notes is alive everywhere investigators look. Well, dead everywhere they look. Joel Michael Guy Jr. is soon tracked down and arrested for the horrific murder and mutilation of his parents. But first he uses his parents' money to pay off some tuition fees and get ahead in his rent. The man-child that is known as a bright student that sees himself as an intellect, always with his face in a dusty old book, always with an air of superiority, was the ultimate example of book smart. Joel Michael Guy is, despite all his education, the dumbest criminal I've ever covered. By far. They have him on surveillance cams buying everything used in the murders and his sloppy, lazy attempt to dissolve evidence of them. Joel Michael has just placed a meat grinder in his trunk when he's taken down, and though there has never been a more open and shut case, Joel Michael denies his guilt, eventually forcing a trial which will bring all of this mess into a courtroom for his family to suffer through, for the world to recoil at. A selfish little troll, a lump, through and through. It's clear Joel Michael enjoys his trial. The attention, the hoopla, 
He sits wild-eyed and studious in court, a face shield on as masks bother him in this time of COVID. They say he's not crazy, just evil, though his unblinking eyes seem to communicate something less. He's just a big, dumb, selfish brat who thinks he's smart, an entitled loser who feels only for himself and thrives off of any attention, good or bad, and this is bad, what's happening before him here in court. His sisters speaking of their pain, his entire family weeping behind him for four days. And those eyes, they eat it all up. They feast on the proceedings. And when the verdict is read, they seem satisfied. Joel Michael Guy Jr. is handed two life sentences with the possibility of parole for each to come after 51 years. The life terms are to be served consecutively, meaning if he were to somehow get paroled after 51 years, he'd then start serving his second life sentence. The earliest Joel Michael Guy could get out would be 21-22. He'd be 134 years old. And the only concern he has is that he'd be in protective custody without a cellmate. And eventually, Joel Michael, the brat, the lump, gets his way after threatening to gouge his cellmate's eyes out in a calmly written letter to the warden. It works. And now it's all a blur. He reads his classics. He daydreams of the nightmare he created. And once in a while, he shakes his head, grins, giggles even. Then goes back to his books. Books much like that which he believes one day will... Hold the pages of his story. A tragic tale, but not without comedy. Joel Michael doesn't yet know it, but he's a joke. The man-child of Baton Rouge, the half-ass assassin of Hardin Valley, the Knox County bath boy. And he will never be written the way he hopes. Because he's not good enough. Funny, because for the Joel Michaels of the world, nothing is ever good enough. And it's because they need to get better, but they won't. They'll whine and bitch and blame project. Sometimes they'll even kill and make slaughter of their parents. Joel Guy Sr.'s face was just a skull with a scalp and hair attached when they pulled it out of the chemical bath. I mentioned the amount of time Joel Michael will serve, but I didn't share that he will receive an additional four years for the desecration of the corpses if he ever makes it to the age of 134. When the bodies were found in the tubs, they were floating back skin. The whole job was botched. It was lazy. A real mess. God knows what the plan was with the meat grinder they found in his trunk when they arrested him. From his notes, it appears he maybe wanted to grind up and flush remains for days when he returned. Then burn the house down? It's crazy, because Joel Michael considered himself a genius, and again, he was book smart. But in everything else, it appeared he was completely useless. He wants to be executed, but the court denies him. He spends time writing letters arguing about what he feels should be his right to die. And it's amusing to see a brat, a lump, not get its way, even in this circumstance. All mine, my car, my apartment, my education, my inheritance, my mother, my father, my money. And now it's my cell and my books and my rights. Joel Michael will rot in prison. And he will bitch until he's an old man. He will feel sorry for himself until he passes away in a prison hospital bed. He will consider himself a sympathetic character in a Shakespearean tragedy. And he will never kill himself. The only action that may have redeemed him somewhat. Because in the end, he kind of got what he wanted. His rent is paid. There's education available. 
and he's left alone to do nothing all day but read. He did it. He's a lump. A lump even grew on the side of his face before a trial. Not sure what that was all about. It was a massive thing on the side of his jawline there. It's gone now, but wow, I, I can't believe I'm saying this. Joel Michael Guy Jr. won. It may not look like a victory to you or I, but to a lazy waste of skin, uh, waste of skin, those tubs were just full of skin and gelatinous muck, but for a loser like Joel Michael, this was the end game, the goal. Leave me alone, feed me, let me read my books. Unbelievable. The crazy son of a bitch did it. The lump. And that will do it. Uh, Joel Michael Guy Jr. was the inspiration for a children's story that I'm working on. I have um, one of the listeners from Dark Topic actually helping me illustrate it, and we're going to try to get it published. And I'm going to share that story with you now. It's going to be much better with illustrations and all that in the future if we do, in fact, uh, achieve what we're trying to achieve here. But I want to read you the children's story that I wrote that was actually inspired by this. It's called The Lump. The lump lays around on the couch all day, yelling at the TV eating off a tray, gleaning all its vegetables from pizza sauce and tacos. The only greens a lump will eat are pulled from hairy nostrils. Nothing's ever good enough, the lump is always spoiled. Go do this and get me that, you think the lump a royal. But then one day you'll leave the lump to be a stump, to be a hump, to be a chump, and soon the lump will bump off off the couch and thump. The lump will look around to see the house completely empty. The lump will have to wash its clothes and rifle through the pantry. The lump will start to melt down when it feels it is alone. And then the lump will beg for help through message on the phone. But when you tell a lump that you don't want it anymore, a lump begins to cry and then will melt down even more. The lump will stay a lump if always given what it wants. A lump is not a person, it's a thing your person haunts. So let the lump be angry. Let the lump be sad. The lump will cough and fart and sneeze and claim it's going mad. But then the lump will start to shrink the more the lump is left to think and when you're sure it's reached the brink. Quiet. The lump will step outside to feel the sun and find some meaning. The lump will fully melt and turn into a human being. Anyways, that's the story that, I'm, that I've written, and it was inspired by this. And uh, my goal, if I'm ever to do children's books, I've always wanted to do children's books, is to give kids a heads up on the type of human beings they're going to meet later on in life and maybe uh, just provide a, <laughs> I don't know, a point of recognition for them. Or they can look back and then I'm like, oh, that's a lump, you know? And I got a few more coming down the line, so. Anyways, thank you. My eyes cock doors lock, stay paranoid. <laughs>